This is Maya, and you're listening to the Let's Hear It Here From Story podcast. On this episode, we're featuring Jesse Ganay, CEO and founder of Lumi, a packaging startup that is revolutionizing the creation, delivery, and supply chain process for e-commerce companies. She's the second in a series of interviews for LHI industry, featuring women who are leading change in impactful industries like e-commerce. Listen in. So, um, I have a co-founder, um, Stefan, and uh, we met over 10 years ago studying industrial design, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, I think that something that's kind of like fun or funny is like we when we first started working on things, we weren't even trying to start a business exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were just like working on things and starting projects. And, um, and we actually had posted a Kickstarter campaign when Kickstarter was like, six months old mm-hmm. um that succeeded and we raised thirteen thousand dollars while we were still in school um and at the time for like a very brief moment in time that was one of the largest kickstarter campaigns just to put things in perspective for mm-hmm. how much time has passed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and uh so i think that like after at the time the amount of money we raised was like nearly exactly what a term of school was costing me in student debt mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. and so I was like it just sort of sparked in me like I should we should keep going with this mm-hmm. um and and so that was like that was kind of a very nascent um like moment of us doing businesses hold on one sec mm-hmm. um do you have enough hands okay cool sorry <laughs> um <laughs> sorry, I'm just working out mm-hmm. um and uh, and so that first company was all about this product I had actually been working on since high school, and it was like this really creative product. But then through doing it, I kind of learned how hard it was to launch physical products, and um, and being kind of design oriented, we were really obsessive over the presentation and how everything was made. And so in in a way, even though it seems like kind of circuitous like it was doing that product that really inspired like and the realization that there was some really big changes that could be made in how how people source and manage packaging and the stuff that we do now Mm -hmm. so you when you kind of came up with this idea for Lumi like what was the initial problem that you were trying to solve the thing that we were trying to solve for was when you're starting a company it's like hard enough to actually develop the entire supply chain and get your product to market, you shouldn't have to also be expert in the supply chain of like every single component that you're going to need to take it to market. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, if you are starting a swimwear company or you are starting a candy company or a dental, you know, product company, you should be an expert in like swimwear or dental products or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the concept that you're also an expert in like, you know, corrugated boxes or tissue paper or understanding the finer points of like every single aspect of that supply chain is just not reasonable. And I was noticing for myself that it was really slowing my product development like down, like it slows people's cycles down, they make mistakes. So like at core, I think for my co-founder and I, it's just really like pro-entrepreneurship sensation of like starting businesses should be easier. Like we all need more tools and we saw so many tools launching to this um, digital sides of companies, especially like 
especially like 10, 12 years ago, it was like kind of a dawn of that where you've got like Shopify, Square, Stripe, MailChimp, like all those companies launching in a, in a few year period. But like, I think that we lived the fact that there wasn't like a Shopify for your physical supply chain or a MailChimp, you know, for like um, teaching you, MailChimp will teach you everything about email marketing and like a happy little chip teaches you for like $30 mm-hmm. a month or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, there's, there's like no equivalencies in some of the physical stuff. And so that's like, was a big aspect of our, a big part of our inspiration. Mm-hmm. And when you were first starting out and seeing that a lot of these brands were having trouble with particularly supply chain, which is really the core of like every e-commerce business, how did you learn how to do that? Like, how did you learn how to kind of scale this for for many different types of brands? That's a great question because it's like, yeah, what? I mean, we didn't have we didn't have a supply chain background. Um, we had we just had the background of running our own company. Mm-hmm. So, like, we had which is which is pretty good. I mean, in the sense that we had like lived a lot of the actual problems, and then we taught ourselves everything else. And I, th- I think that is a really powerful lesson because so many people um, spend a really like extraordinary amount of time. Uh, well, the, a lot of people spend a short amount of time on the research phase of business, which actually I think is generally good, but 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 it's easy to like. There's a um, you know people talk about the beginner's mindset and stuff, and I think that that's something that is very very important. Which is like, you know, if you are smart and you are business minded and you understand a lot of the dynamics at play for growing a business, I feel I, I as a person feel pretty bullish that like you know, a great business person can start like almost any type of business. Like you, you need, it's, uh, there's, there's few businesses that are super like contact dependent or like, it's like a, you just need to jump in and actually the beginner's mindset serves you very well. Cause you're like, why is this set like this? And everyone's like, that's just how it is. And you're like, but why, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so like you, it was actually your inexperience in that space is like very helpful. Um, so Things that are like having lived the problem was very powerful because we, because we weren't guessing at like some of the pain points. Um, but then from there, like jumping into the world of like heavy packing, packaging manufacturing, um, so like you know all sorts of supply chain logistics stuff. Uh, we learned it. We hired for it. We you know kind of figured that stuff out as we went. Hmm. No, that's, that's really awesome. Definitely very needed. And when you were building this, and I guess now, what do you think or what did you kind of like come to know uh, the crucial challenges facing packaging in e-commerce? Um, so I think that it's very iterative. Like when you're saying, how did we learn the crucial challenges? Yeah, like what did you, what do you think are now, or how did you? Yeah, like what did you discover? What were the like the key challenges facing okay. this? Um. Yeah. Okay. So as we got deeper into it, like, um, some of the key challenges of this space is that they're just for starters, like, is not very much. Um, there's not very much technology applied to mm-hmm. to this space at all. So, um, like, they're you just hit air in a world where people are operating off of like emails and phone calls. And so like, there's just kind of so much to be done. Like there's so much to optimize mm-hmm. because like people have been, you know, running their packaging supply chains, like, you know, $10 million spends, $20 million spends and stuff out of like Google sheets. And then they check up on their orders by like calling someone and being like, where's my order? Like there's just, it's like almost overwhelming how like, 
how much you know needs to be worked on Mm -hmm. um so I think we learned a lot about that we also learned that we also another crucial thing happening in this space is that um like packaging is going through a truly um kind of like what's the right word um like I mean I guess big transformation would be the way of putting it in the sense that like you know even like 10 years ago kind of before the direct consumer boom and stuff a box was just a box kind of for lack of a better mm-hmm. way of putting it people didn't need a lot of like fancy things about boxes like even e-commerce brands like that existed then like amazon and stuff being in plain boxes basically sometimes sometimes they'd have their logo um but like but that the the, the whole manufacturing world is so grappling with the fact that like customers don't just want a plain brown box anymore. So like the thing that's interesting is the manufacturing world doesn't move nearly as quickly as the consumer world. So just because a bunch of consumers all want beautiful printed boxes and all these like unboxing experiences doesn't mean that the machinery that made boxes like changed that much over the past decade. Like so there's a the supply side, like the manufacturers are grappling with a lot of this change as well. Like what does it do to their businesses? They're all investing in like fancier printers. So I think it's been interesting to kind of witness that too. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you bring up a good point where it's like a lot of e-commerce brands, it's like the unboxing experience is like so key to so many direct-to-consumer brands, especially when they don't have, you know, any physical presence. And, you know, what do you think, like, how do you see Lumi prioritizing this, like, prioritizing the brand's identity to create this, like, this optimal packaging experience? So I feel like we're very much, like, in the facilitation part of unboxing in the sense that we're not the brand's design agency. Um, we are really their supply chain and, like, manufacturing partner and where they order their packaging. Mm-hmm. So we, like, we do... What, what we represent to the brand is like when they have these big dreams for what they're trying to execute on, a lot of times those dreams fall apart in the execution phase. Mm-hmm. They're like, I want to do this really cool thing and then it's supposed to look like this and I want to have it be this color. And then they like work with a cool agency or their own creativity. But then when they actually go to produce everything, they like it's too expensive or they don't know how to produce it or the thing they want to do is not actually like technically possible or something like that. So I think that what what we represent is like we have packaging engineers on staff. We we understand the production processes, and we're here to actually find a factory that can do what you want um, through our network. And so like that's where the rubber meets the road. Is like you had this dream of what you want it to be like, and Lumi is like, yes, your dream is doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or no, your dream is just a dream. I mean, that's <laughs> very much needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, but the, the, but we obviously do that in a positive way. And then, and then we are actually people who manufacture it. There's other things, there's other kind of elements of where, where the rubber meets the road as well that are kind of interesting where it's like, um, an element of like whether the unboxing experience is cool or not might might happen at fulfillment. Like, is the person assembling the boxes doing it correctly? Mm-hmm. So we'll like, because we're this kind of execution partner, um, sometimes we'll actually participate in like making a guide for how that box like folds together or like doing these things that help the brand actually execute. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. And you know, I, I've seen that you guys have partnered with so many different brands. Like, um, I've seen like the Threadless, like Fab Fit Fun, like Parachute Home. Um, 
And I guess like early on or even now, how are you introducing these brands to this new process that you guys are building as well as convincing, you know, existing brands if they have already this like supply chain process in mm-hmm. place, like how did they transition to a more, you know, a more technology focused process? Yeah, I think with the brands, um, there's a couple different like archetypes of what they might be doing now. So some brands are working with like, a big traditional packaging distributor, in which case like switching to Lumi would be uh, usually a cost savings. And then also they'll take all their workflows out of their inboxes and be able to have access to all of their information in in the Lumi dashboard. So like Mm -hmm. um, we track every single production trigger in the dashboard. So like we know when your item is like when the tooling is being produced, when it's in production, when it's out of production, when it's sitting on the floor, when it's being staged for shipping, when it's in transit. So like all those moments um, become data that you can actually manipulate and report on and have analytics on. So like, so the so there's one archetype of a brand who's switching from like traditional distribution to us. Um, that that would be that would be an example and they would be prioritizing those things as well as costs like there's a lot of reasons why a traditional distributor working off of like you know the like online equivalent of pen and paper like mm-hmm. they just use like word docs and stuff yeah. um like it maybe hasn't optimized your supply chain yet then then there's another archetype of a brand who maybe has cobbled together a supply chain of a bunch of partners so maybe they're working at factory direct on like a couple items and then they're working through a broker to get tissue paper and they have some like someone they found on alibaba to get like some other thing and so they have like 12 different vendors that they're managing mm-hmm. that that brand has a slightly different value prop where it's like the consolidation um like uh reducing potential team bloat like you know a supply chain we talk a lot with brands about like Lumi ultimately reduces their supply chain overhead. That's like more of a pitch you'd make to a COO or like a, you know, a founder than the team who you're talking to Mm -hmm. because it's their jobs. But basically, basically it's like one, if you can prevent one incremental hire, you know, that's like, you know, 7,500K a year for these brands. And that like, so you, you, you can save them some money on packaging, but you're actually saving them in overhead in the long haul as well. Right. And so how did you actually go about building the tool for this? You know, this is, I remember seeing it, your co-founder stated. <laughs> yeah, well, your, your co-founder stated that, you know, the goal of the company is to make manufacturing as scalable as the web. And, you know, that's very ambitious, right? And so like, how, <laughs> how, how does this play out? Like, what is, what is the, the, the backbone of this? Yeah, so it's really like, um, what, what, what it really is, which just sounds like kind of boring, like that sounds what you just said sounds sexy, but, but yeah. what we're what the thing that we're building more so is like an ERP system that is built for custom manufacturing, like for for custom manufacturing product products. So like it can handle the entire workflow from the time that you specify a product, like down to every specification of the item through to when you take delivery of that item. So like that end to end workflow is like happening in our own software. Um, and we're not building it on top of something else. <clears throat> we're just building it slowly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so like, uh, that would be Stefan, um, is, you know, runs our engineering team and we have like, so when our supply chain team comes into work, they 
log in to our back end to like process orders to like you know update production statuses and stuff like that so mm-hmm. it's like all in our own software how did you was there any like co-creation with this or is it mostly based on like your personal experiences creating a business or is it we made it all up yeah basically. <laughs> <laughs> so we yeah we um yeah that's a great I love how I've never thought about that like did we like I don't know um yeah very iteratively (laughs) so I think that we're like we were we're always on on the software side like we've always been building towards solving a certain challenge and ultimately the best way to think about the core challenge that we're solving is that it's a Lumiusic a supply side demand side business like it has marketplace dynamics even though people are buying from Lumi and so like how do you take the workflows that the manufacturers do and typically are communicating in like a slapshot way over email and phone and all this craziness? Like how do you take what they do and what the brands need and expect and like build, you know, software workflows in between. Um, and so I think that we know we've like, Stefan jokes he has like a 50 year road mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like Jesus like I'd like to see the six months version um that's just our humor but like um we're like he we know what we're doing we know what we need to build but the, the, it's always just like anyone like it's always just a, how we prioritize mm-hmm. what has to be, what's like most urgent and what's most useful to the customers Mm-hmm. And what what sort of feedback have you gotten from some of the like? Can you give an example of like a customer if you can disclose like of like how they feel about Lumi so far? Yeah, um, we work with um, a company called Brandless, mm-hmm. um, and before working with us, they were uh, managing kind of a slew of packaging distributors, and they were tracking inventory in a google doc and um they were constantly like running out of stock of certain sizes of boxes Mm -hmm. or whatever their warehouse manager never knew when they were getting deliveries they couldn't check anywhere um their cfo was like super confused about like what the bills represented like everyone was kind of in a state of misinformation or confusion and so they, they specifically have been like they, their whole team uses the dashboard. They're a good example of like a company that's adopted it where their designer logs in to check artwork and their finance person logs in to pull invoices and like they're all doing their workflows in there. Um, and so I think that it highlights like how, how, how basically like for most of these companies, most of the employees like they get involved in these companies, they, they don't think packaging would be their the biggest problem that they have. Like they're like, you run the company and then yeah, yeah, someone like gets the boxes. Mm-hmm. So there, I think that oftentimes it's surprising, like that it becomes the pain in everyone's day. Like no one can find the invoice or no one can, like, it's just this thing that causes to them, like seemingly unnecessary amounts of pain for what it is. Mm-hmm. And so I think that their feedback is like when they transition, it's just no longer that like, it's more, it's more up to snuff with their other stuff that they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's the thing, the packaging industry is so far behind that most of the time it's more like a game of catch up where now that ordering packaging is more similar for them, like to their expectations as ordering other things. Right. And do you see like a lot of the brands that you work with are kind of already using some of the other uh, software like Shopify, Square? Like, oh, yeah. Think, yeah. 
Yeah, they're using all sorts of stuff. I mean, like, there a lot of them would be on, you know, Shopify, like uh, some of the more advanced options they have, and then, um, but they're they're there's really an entire like emergent stack, you know, of like e-com infrastructure software. So, so like, and I think that's part, another way of thinking about what Lumi represents and what other companies are working on too, is like the brands just wish the stack was continuous that they at no point were like, you know, sucking things out of one thing into another thing themselves or, they don't have like a Google Doc moment in between two systems. Like they just love the stack to function together. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like um, their mindset. Right. You know, I've always also been curious, like there's so many of these tools, like how do you see Lumi kind of in this like circle of production? Like I, I you know, I when I, you, someone starts a business, do they go to Lumi first? Do they set up a, you know, a website first? Like how do you kind of see you guys self in the, in this process? We, we actually, we see ourselves like fairly, um, fairly late in the cycle of when someone is like, uh, brainchilding a new idea or new product. Cause like we, we, we like to get involved early ish, but there's, but we don't, we don't like to be someone's first call honestly, because mm-hmm. like when someone doesn't have a product, um, you know, this is not like our attitude with customers, but basically like you can't package mm-hmm. something that you haven't made. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you have to, and, but people will reach out about that or like want to like, you know, kind of develop packaging for product that doesn't exist. Uh, that's, that's problematic for a lot of reasons. Like I applaud them for kind of wanting to get ahead of the game, but like, you're just going to waste money that way, like mm-hmm. on developing things, on producing things because packaging is so determined like by, by the product mm-hmm. and, and um so so my my general advice to people is like you actually want to be in like your late late stages of product development where you have physical prototypes you have like production schedules like in mind mm-hmm. and then you want to develop your physical product of course you could be thinking about it earlier and that's part of the reason we put so much content out mm-hmm. is like we'd love for people to be thinking about it and way more and we have guides and like blog posts and podcasts and videos I do on YouTube and like all that stuff so that's like great but there isn't anything unfortunately when brands want to like be in touch or doing something there isn't something specifically to do until you have your product so um so we're kind of like um a follow in that cycle someone would be for, for the, thing, the other kind of core element that a brand needs to have is their branding so like that's what we're putting on the packaging mm-hmm. and so again not to sound sassy but like we can't put your branding on the packaging if you don't have the branding part mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so so like we again we like to be very we help we help walk people through this but it's like um generally speaking we are we are pretty like late cycle for when someone's doing pack product development. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. That's super, super cool. And so I guess the other part of this is actually getting this network of factories, right? And this call the you know, this whole other part of the manufacturing process is this partnership. And, you know, how did you kind of go about creating this network and choosing the right factories and particularly choosing, you know, sustainable factories for for the right jobs? I think that's that that's a great question. I think that that's like um if I were a VC, like talking to us in the early stages, mm-hmm. the fact that we had like no 
connections to like even a single factory would have been concerning to me <laughs> at the time. I think that um, I I think that what's interesting is how fast we've moved on that like now we have contracts and like rebate programs with some of the world's largest manufacturers and um but it really i don't think we would have even been able to Mm -hmm. um like pre-game that and and know that we could do that so there's a little bit of um business hubris there where like we ended up with the capacity that we needed but we couldn't have known that at the beginning Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and uh so so something that you, you mentioned, like, how do you um, kind of involve yourself with sustainable factories? The thing, um, in fact, the, the manufacturing world is extraordinarily pragmatic, and that's one of my favorite parts about it. Like, I really relate to how these people think because they're mm-hmm. just like something I tell other people about how to think about sustainability in factories is that um, a factory will make whatever you order. And so um, if you order, like, a better, more sustainable product, then that's what they make that day. Like, like it's both like a blessing and a curse where like, unfortunately, there's not very many factories who like think to themselves, like, you know what I'm going to do? Like, I'm going to say that I'll never use this other like, you know, bad material or I'm only going to run recycled boxes this, this week or this month. Mm-hmm. Like they don't, uh, they don't feel like they have that much agency. Like, you know, Coca-Cola walks in the door or, or another brand walks in the door and says, I'm ordering X, Y, Z. And they say, to what spec? And then they make that thing. So, like, they're, the good news, so the bad news is, like, there's very few factories, like, taking a really bold stance. The things, because it's not, it doesn't feel like it's in their control. The, mm-hmm. the things that are in their control are how they run their facilities. And there are a lot of, them who are making cool moves there like you know installing solar um but but the factories that we work with especially in like boxes are corrugated like if someone's imagining like you know building with a smokestack and like you know surly employees like walking around on dirty floors like it's like not that at all like these facilities are so beautiful and clean Mm -hmm. they they have solar on the roofs they're capturing the steam that comes off of like the freshly crinkled corrugate paper reducing the starches in it to remake more glue to remake more corrugate like it's crazy stuff so so it's like so it does feel like it's kind of not our place to tell the factory like be better like they're they're doing most of them are doing what they can and of course that varies widely internationally and stuff and we're careful to like vet factories for their practices but it's like in the scheme of things, the way to have more impact is to change what's being ordered from my perspective than to change the factories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that's like an interesting lensing that is, can be overlooked. Right. And do you think, you know, what are some of the ways that you've tried to, you know, kind of present Lumi as a very sustainable packaging business? Is it more so the factories or more so this mission of the, the products it's, you produce? It's more, it's actually, um, the third, third option. You give me two, I'm going to invent one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the third option there is that it's not, um, uh, is that, is that it's, um, putting real information into the hands of the decision maker. Mm-hmm. So like transparency of information is to me, like one of the biggest levers for like greening supply chains and offering and, and, and making packaging more sustainable. Mm-hmm. So like, for the most part, like an operations person is overwhelmed and de- is overwhelmed 
with like their mandate and their mandate is always like impossible basically their mandate is somehow make this packaging super sustainable make sure it's beautiful and you never sacrifice on our brand you know look and promise and feel Mm -hmm. and oh yeah like you have 10% less budget next quarter than this quarter into perpetuity Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know so like basically that's their life and so Mm -hmm. you have to like take this like harried frazzled person who has that kind of mandate and, and make it so that they can make better decisions continuously mm-hmm. and so um I think it's like a, there's a continuous improvement kind of mindset to operations um and what Lumi is doing is saying like okay we're what we're actually doing sometimes um in platform is like changing the defaults like for instance if someone orders a poly mailer let's say like a busy ops person is like trying to order poly mailer and they're like all I know is it's got to be 17 cents and I need 50,000 of them and like all this stuff. Mm. Well, we will, we'll know that for that price point, like we can make an 80% recycled polymer. We can get it from a facility that uses solar over one that doesn't, we can still hit that price point. So like we know the details on the ground, like we know the production details, we know the cost details. So like it allows us to, tell that person and provide options in the dashboard for that person that are better than what they might even be requesting. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? No, that's really, really awesome. That's something that, you know, is definitely very interesting in this time and day where, you know, packaging is literally everywhere. (laughs) I know it's everywhere. Something else though that that I like to kind of remind people is that like, Packaging is focal in our lives now because it comes to our houses. It comes to our doorsteps. Mm -hmm. Um, If you've ever been in a retail distribution center, um, like packaging was just as prevalent and like almost just as much packaging was going into sometimes more, but like somewhere in more of an equaling zone that people realized packaging was going into getting products to distribution centers to get to a store, like store shelves at like Target. So like, um, a bottle of detergent that sits on a shelf in tar- Target has been in and out of like three boxes mm-hmm. and was packed into an inner carton, a master carton, and then um, onto a pallet that like got wrapped and had other like wrapping and stuff as well. And then there was like boxes and other instruction materials for the employee at Target to like be like, put it on the shelf this way. So, so there's just this perception that e-com like uses a lot more packaging. It's, it's way more equal like there was always a lot of packaging being used to get products to market for better mm-hmm. or worse. So it's just that like now customers see it. And so they're like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And do you think also all of this that you were saying and, you know, all of the, the tactics you used when you were fundraising for Lumi, what was your strategy in, in actually sharing this vision? And, you know, I know you raised from like forerunner and like spark capital and, you know, yeah, I guess like what was like the main strategy you have or advice you have for other founders? I think, um, so in terms of strategy and advice to other founders, I think I'll say something kind of like um, broad, which is that if there was one thing I think we did really well during those fundraisers, it was communicating our passion and big ideas for this and for, for, for the area that we're that we're involved in. So this packaging industry and everything else, I think that sometimes founders like under index on showing their own their own passion and like story for something because they are like, I should be professional and kind of like they've they've got this like mental image of what a business person is like and what they do. Mm -hmm. But investors 
would love to see your passion for something like they it's their job to sit across the table from um an early stage deal and think to themselves am i sitting across the table from like the next company that goes public or Mm -hmm. the next founder that you know becomes a billionaire or something and like Mm -hmm. you don't they don't feel that way when you're like i know that this is a good idea and let me show you like my five-step well-researched like wikipedia stuff for like why like like there's like mm-hmm. a you have to make sure that your passion for something comes through especially in early stage mm-hmm. fundraising so i think i would i would say that awesome okay i have one last question for you <laughs> what okay. i guess so now being uh you know the founder of this what is some career advice you would give to younger women um aspiring to mm-hmm. start something like this or even join the this industry Career advice to younger women. Um, <laughs> how old do you think I am? No, <laughs> you know, early, just early 20, girl. So I think that honestly, so I have a little bit of perspective on hearing um, like when, like younger women will come to me and like ask about they'll be like starting something and I'll, I'll, um, you know, coach them on fundraising or something else. And I, but also sometimes I talk to younger guys and I think that like one of my pieces of advice for younger women, that's just the, the, the differences in approach, unfortunately, like I'd love to be like, it's the same and everyone's mm-hmm. like doing it the same, but it's just starkly like not that way at all. Like women will be like, you know, about starting this business in like five years and I'm going to do like five years of research and like get these three jobs to prove to everyone I can do this and then I'm writing like a dissertation on it and then when I go raise I'm going to go raise 500k or something and a dude will be like I have this idea yesterday I'm going to go raise five million (laughs) dollars and and so 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 I feel like my advice and kind of along that vein to women is like um to be bullish like to ask for you know 30 40 50 percent more than they think they need because that's how life actually works you're mm-hmm. going to need more um into and to like get started um the the, the preparation like basically pre- this is like a weird kind of advice but it's like prepare less and like do more that mm-hmm. that will serve them well um and it but it just there's a level of like nervousness and imposter syndrome and all sorts of things and then men have that too it's just sort of like pattern recognition wise i see more women like waiting for things and they shouldn't <laughs> yeah no i i definitely see that for sure even just being personally and you know, being out of college and you know it's super super hard to know when is the right time right you're constantly thinking oh maybe there's no right time yeah there's, yes, yes. there's no when is the right time today yeah i'm saying i mean there's like there's no yeah it like never comes it never is um i think that it's like and and i've just for me all the only reason i kind of know that is that just like i have enough cycle time because i can remember back to every time i did any specific thing and it was also never the right time Mm -hmm. and it always seemed like a terrible idea (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much for listening if you're interested in learning more of subscribing check out the let's hear it site at letshearplatform.org